ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host. And here on the Salty Pastor, we are just <laughs> sharing biblical truths. We're not believing that fluff is enough anymore. And if you are fluff here, you are enough. wanting to think for yourself and we are here to help provide some evidence and thoughts around how you can do that so an alternative uh viewpoint that people are being given in the society today absolutely and our new series um faith and science is starting off with a bang our audience um listenership and viewership um is up almost 30 percent um, and our very own Salty Pastor is going to tell us why that is. So please welcome Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, I think people uh, uh, are starting to get more of a sense that science is being manipulated in a way to mislead them. And I, I really think that the whole situation with COVID uh, did a couple of things. On the one hand, it showed us how important science is. It really is. And I, I believe that the scientific endeavor to produce a vaccine, phenomenal, a phenomenal historical scientific feat to be uh, achieved so quickly on so many different levels. Uh, but on the other hand, and multiple things can be true at one time, is we see how science was really manipulated by people for political agendas and right so we saw that too and and so people are like okay wait a second what what's really going on with science and why is this happening and where's this long standard situation and how do i wade through that and i think so people are really interested in this topic people want to have more knowledge and more uh, perspective on science and its role and why was it so easily manipulated uh, during some of the most tumultuous time in the life of our country. And I think that's, like you said, that's the reason people are so interested in this series is yeah. they're, they've kind of almost lost their faith in science. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what the point of the series is, but it's a nice like secondary point that you're kind of bringing up, right? <laughs> oh, uh, we're multifaceted. Multifaceted. We go deep. <laughs> so um, why don't we bring everyone up to speed um, based on what you talked about on your sermon on Sunday and what we talked about last week during the Salty Pastor. Uh, just bring us up to speed where we're at. Well, in essence, what we wanted to articulate was that science in its purest form is a discipline of thought. It's a, it's a discipline that says, uh, based on empirical evidence, uh, through testing and through evaluation of the outcome of experiments, we're going to draw conclusions based on those conclusions or facts. We're going to build hypotheses, then we're going to test those hypotheses. So science is a systematic, according to Oxford Language, uh, uh, Oxford Language Dictionary, a systematic approach to studying the natural world in which we live. And so it's really quite remarkable. It's a wonderful thing, in my opinion. And the difficulty, though, is that there is a system of belief which is called naturalism uh, or atheism. And what naturalists uh, postulate is that the only thing in existence in any and all reality is the natural world or the material universe in which we exist. Consequently, science is their, their, their domain, they believe. Uh, unfortunately, what they don't tell you, as naturalists don't tell you, is that their belief system requires more faith based on the assumptions they have to make 
than a theist might have to have in order to adopt the position that they have. So we have basically science as a tool, and then you have a belief system called naturalism and a belief system called athe uh, excuse me, theism. And what's happening is atheism or naturalism is attempting to manipulate science to support its faith-based claims. And so they use a thing called the conflict theory to propagate and denigrate theists when it comes to science by saying they're irrational or they're uh, uh, unintelligent or they uh, uh, shouldn't be involved in science. And so they use that kind of as a club to, to try to keep people out. But what that does is that ends up deceiving people about the nature of actual science and then allows science to be manipulated by these groups of people in times. So... So, I mean, really it comes down to science is a discipline of thought and then yes. atheism and theism are both systems of belief. Yes. The atheists won't tell you that, but it really is. It really well, is. And I think you did a great job of showing the, the, the logical differences between these three things mm -hmm. and how they really interact with one another in the sermon on Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the conflict theory seems to me to be the primary way in which naturalists kind of gain traction in today's culture. Yeah. Why yes. is that? Well, the conflict theory persists in our culture because people are not aware of historical facts. And because, you know, I, and I get that, you know, when I studied history in high school and even in college, it was so boring. And but in reality, when you don't know the factual development of these things, then when people make claims today, you can just make an assumption that they're true when in actuality they are not. Uh, I believe in popular culture, the conflict theory exists because our media and our national news media in particular tend to all be postmodern in their thinking and postmodern at its core says, well, there's no absolute truth. There's no objective truth. It's just narratives. It's my truth. And so when people make, make a claim, well, there is an objective truth. That's what theists do is they don't like that. And so that's why popular culture, I think, uh, adopts this false historical account of the conflict theory. Naturalists po posit the conflict theory in this way. They say the scientific revolution took off because people had finally been able to separate science and intellectual, rational thought from the influence of Christianity or religion. And once that happened, that's when science was really able to take off. So is that true? Is that historically true? Because in reality, Christianity at its core is not a religion. Christianity requires reason in order to think out and flesh out the implications of its truth claims into your everyday life. Christianity is focused on the truth because Christianity loves knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge. So why is it or why is the question that the scientific revolution could only be birthed if it was outside of Christendom or Christianity? Now, 
you could talk about this over and over again. There's a lot of theories about this that are fairly abstract, but I, I don't really want to go into them today. We'll do that for Thursday, a lot more in depth about the actual historical facts. But what I wanted to do is kind of help us understand the seminal or the, the fertile soil in which the uh, scientific revolution was birthed out of. And where that came from, and I, I think that that uh, came from a passage in the New Testament. So t tell me about this scripture in the New Testament um, that had such an impact on this, on the history of the scientific revolution. What is it? Well, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, where Paul is kind of introducing, he's writing this letter, and he wrote it to the Corinthians to help them work through a bunch of uh, uh, flawed thinking that they had and what it meant to follow Christ and how to treat one another. And so he was correcting all these issues and problems in their, to make their lives easier and get back on track living out their faith. In verses 18 through 27, though, he says something that's really quite unique about salvation and what it really is. And he basically says, this is the essence of salvation. And I'm going to tell you about what it means to be saved and living in Christ. That's its primary point. However, in studying it, it also tells us a little bit about the nature of how the Roman Empire viewed knowledge. Because you have to remember that Corinth was way up north. It's in it's in what is known as modern day Greece today. Okay. And it's in the center of the cultural and religious part of all the Roman Empire. The Romans really loved and worshipped uh, Hellenism, which is an ancient word for Greek mythology, Greek philosophy. That was the Romans loved that. And that was what their culture was based on. So what it tells us, and this is how Romans actually viewed knowledge, because he's writing to the Corinthians who live up there and they're mostly Romans, right? Uh, they're not Jewish people. They were Gentiles that had come to Christ. So it's very important though, to understand the limitations of this approach, but early people studied this, knew this, and early followers of Christ throughout centuries over time would come back to this over and over and over again. And what it would do is it would help correct misunderstanding of what knowledge and philosophy and wisdom and truth was all about. And why is that? Like, I mean, talk to me. I, I, I get that he's writing this letter. He's, he's speaking their language, basically. Yeah. He's, he's making appeals to things that they understand. He's not trying to speak to you know, the Jewish side of them. He's trying to speak to Correct. the Roman side. Of and them, he's not right? trying to make a big statement about science, but in the way that he's addressing them about salvation, he kind of brings up some points. So let's jump into it and find out. In verse 18, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written. And right here, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So what's interesting here is as you think about this and you mull it over in your mind, at first you think, oh, well, we're to shun knowledge because it's all foolishness anyway. But as you think about this and as you read further on, which we'll do in a moment, what you start to realize is what, what he's saying is, is Paul is saying is that is it possible to grow your knowledge? Is it possible to grow in wisdom? Is it possible to grow in truth when you separate God from that pursuit? 
Is it really possible to do that? No, it becomes very frustrating. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. So once you remove God, excuse me, remove God from the equation of rational thought, it does something that is very critically important to understand. And that is, is that truth is now subjective, right? And so this is how science can be manipulated. It's no longer about facts. It's about building a narrative to a subjective goal and whoever wants to manipulate whatever that narrative or goal is. And so this, of course, undermines science as a tool in its purest form is like, well, we're not supposed to have a narrative. We're not supposed to have, you know, a subjective goal. We're supposed to have an objective goal. And that is to discover the laws and the principles and facts about how our natural universe works. Right. And so if you read in verse 20, he goes on to say, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, if we were to go back and study, and we'll do this on Thursday, the actual birth of the scientific revolution, what you see is that the primary motivation to study everything about the natural world was to discover the divine attributes of God. And the scientific revolution was actually birthed out of Christendom. It wasn't birthed out of anything else. I mean, think about it for a moment. The Romans loved, loved Greek philosophers. They loved Greek wisdom. They worshiped it. It was in their entire religious uh, life. And what's fascinating is some of the greatest uh, mathematicians and classic philosophers and even cosmologists came out from the ancient Greeks. You know, you got Pythagoras, you got uh, a number of other ancient guys that I won't go through at this particular moment. However, the question then becomes, then why wasn't there a scientific revolution then? When they basically worshipped like yeah. the study of silence and philosophy there should have been the biggest push for and exactly and they had all the wealth you know i mean they had all the political stability i mean the roman empire was around for a thousand years right right and then if you go back you look at well let's take another example china ancient china you know china had discovered gunpowder they they understood alchemy or chemistry they were writing on paper before jesus was born so their capacity to discover scientific stuff was pretty, pretty advanced. Why wasn't there ever a scientific revolution in China? As a matter of fact, the scientific revolution didn't get to China until the Jesuits brought it in the 19th century to them mm. is when it finally started to take root and take off. Why is that? So, so what naturalists say is that the scientific revolution would have happened no matter what if there was political stability, if there was enough wealth, and there were people who were naturalists. 
Well, that existed in ancient China. That existed in ancient Rome. It's existed in other periods throughout history, the ancient Egyptians. Then why wasn't there a scientific revolution? I mean, based on their claim, then the Romans should have sent the man to the moon. Right. But that, none of that ever happened. There's only one factor that's different in all of those situations, and that is Christianity. So why is that? Because Christianity didn't separate the pursuit of science from God. And notice what he says is that where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? He says the Greeks tried to find God through wisdom and weren't able to do it. The Jews couldn't do it. So what he's saying is that it wasn't until Christ came and crucified that allowed a lot of the intellectual capacity and the structure to, uh, to develop in order for the scientific revolution to take off, which is the opposite of what a naturalist would teach. They would say, no, we had to break away from that. So let's move on a little bit. He, uh, in verse 25, he says this, The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So that as long as we pursued these things in God, we would have greater success. Right. In 26, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, here's where it's really significant to understand why Christianity was so critical to the scientific revolution. Your, it's your definition of what it means to be a human being, which is called a worldview, is critical in understanding. See, by human standards, the Romans, they taught that wisdom was a gift of the gods. So it was only bestowed upon, you know, Pythagoras or Aristippus or Epicurus or uh, Plato or Socrates or any of these guys, it was given to them as a gift from God. And guess what? They're at the higher upper crest of society. It's not given to anybody else. So as soon as they died, what happened to their stuff? It just got dropped until somebody else at a very high level, you know, uh, could be kissed by the gods to pick it up and, and, and carry it. it on. Right. Yeah, it just died. But what Paul's saying right here is this, is that no, knowledge and wisdom is for everybody. You see, just think of who you were before you came to know Christ. And then your new identity is you're you're just as smart and intelligent as everybody else. So when Christianity brought to the table was is that they saw knowledge not as this unique gift that's given to Plato. Right. What they saw it as is it was an objective thing that anybody could access if you were taught it and shared it with you. Now, some people were have more of a proclivity to certain types and, than others, and they got that. And this comes out of Paul's teaching about gifts. You know, some people have a proclivity for this or that or the other. So Christianity created not only the concept of what uh, knowledge was that allowed it to take off in the scientific revolution. It also created an understanding or a difference of understanding of what a human being really was. And so what that did is that allowed all kinds of people to access it. And this is where the early priests and all the early universities, which were all developed in Christianity, predominantly the Roman Catholic Church. And so anybody could go and usually it was the third son of a Lord initially would go and study. And then peasants could go. Anybody could go and study because the monks showed no favoritism. Anybody who wanted to come and study could study. 
Right. And so it's really quite fascinating. And that was uniquely Christian. China, exactly the same way, is if there was anything smart or anything that was scientifically advanced, the belief was that the emperor of China, or who was ever over everything during that dynasty, uh, all, it was the, it was their knowledge. Nobody else was allowed to have it. As a matter of fact, this is a, a really interesting historical fact, and that is is that the Chinese almost had their own industrial revolution because they figured out how to refine iron, you know. And they had what happened is independent brokers all up and down the main river there in China opened up smeltering plants and started manufacturing iron, and then they were getting close to steel, right? And what happened is the emperor went on a, a tour and saw all this new stuff. And the emperor said, oh, this is new knowledge. It belongs to me. None of you can do it anymore. And so that shut down the entire industry. And it set China back centuries and compared to everybody else. Right. So it completely stopped their advancement. So I would say that when you separate God from the pursuit of knowledge and science, then what you do is you're actually limiting human growth. You are not enhancing it. Because you're putting it behind basically a caste system of only the most, exactly. uh, you know, the most blessed, the most yeah. rich, the most wealthy, whatever, are allowed to have. Allowed and, to have. And I, I would say if, and you'll probably speak about this at some point, and I think you even have, like a lot of Nobel laureates are not, people that were well off right when they started this right, and so right. that further you know adds to this point you're making or what the point that paul's making yeah. that is it is not something that is only for the uppity ups it's something right. that you know can come from anywhere you know yeah, a peasant can have a great <laughs> idea and you know that's kind of the american dream you can come here be the poorest of the poor and live that american dream and become very wealthy based on your entrepreneurship and your own yeah, and look at verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, and that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so what we see here is Paul's not discounting wisdom at all. He's not discounting knowledge as, as a category of content. He's not doing that at all. What he's saying, out, saying is that wisdom separated from God's purpose is ultimately a foolish endeavor because the end game has no point. See, the end game has no point. And you're just pursuing uh, wisdom for wisdom's sake, but it doesn't have any real. And that's why he's saying, look, God has a point. There is a meaning and purpose to your life. Naturalists deny all meaning and purpose to your life. And there is no point to gaining more knowledge in their construct, which I feel is absolutely contrary to the whole point of science. Science wants to know more, innovate more, discover more. I want science to go further than it's ever gone before. I want it to try more things than it's ever been. I, I, I wish we would invest more energy and more focus on science. I wish there was a, a passion in our society that young people were so excited about science, you know, as opposed to, I don't like math, so I'm not going to do anything in STEMs. Right. You know, kind of a thing. 
and and that's hurting our society, right? Well, and I would argue that the the drive for uh, capitalism of that science is the other issue. I was listening to an interesting podcast the other day, and they were talking about how a lot of modern pharmaceuticals just spend time making minor tweaks to the patents they already own mm-hmm. rather than pushing forward. And they'll buy out competitors yeah. who are building a better cure or a better whatever. And they basically lock that knowledge down. They're doing exactly what the, the emperor used to do is exactly. that that will put us out of business or that will cause us to lose money. Mm-hmm. So we're going to buy it up, lock it away. And we're just going to say our thing's the only thing you can do, make minor tweaks so that the patent doesn't expire mm-hmm. and do that. And I think that's where things get lost is it's the same system we're getting into where science or medicine is being locked behind this people with the rich because they've fallen away from the pursuit of knowledge and faith in our creator. Yeah, there's a, a great example of that is that there's people that uh, have shown over and over and over again that in uh, uh, back like back in Detroit when the three made major uh, car companies back there, GM, Ford and, and Chrysler were back there. They said, you know, there's just rooms of stuff that's filled up with really great innovative ideas like tires that can't go flat, all of these things that the four, the companies went and bought right away and then buried them. Right. Because they didn't want to they didn't want their market to go away. And see, this is what happens when you have government control and then when you have a when it's when it's separated from the object of God. See, so the people of God are great for scientists because the people of God are more interested in the truth and, and the giving, sh- it, a, giving, giving the it all away. away. Yeah, give it to as many people as you can. But uh, secularists, atheists, uh, humanists aren't interested in doing that. If you don't have a soul, why would you why go would and you do care? the what's best for the rest be, of the world? Yeah, I just want to be rich anyway. Who cares? So, so Paul is not saying that we shun wisdom and knowledge. He's saying if it's separated from God's purpose, it's a foolish endeavor because the end game has no point. So in Christianity, the end game is what? The redemption of humanity, the betterment of humanity. Atheism, in my opinion, is not freeing. It, is, it, it puts you in bondage to what philosophers call uh, nihilism. Uh, you might hear it pronounced, oh, that person's nihilistic. And what that means is that you're on a path where there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no free will, there's no consciousness, there's no, like you said, reason to help out humanity anyway because we don't have a soul. And this is why some of the greatest uh, tragedies, the greatest evils have been propagated on the human race by atheists. If you go back historically and you look at what happened in Russia during the Bolshevik Revolution and then later on uh, when they starved tens of millions of Ukrainians to death, when you go back and you look at uh, the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler's uh, socialistic, uh, his democratic socialism and fascism was was the same thing. It was all based on atheism. He was highly influenced philosophically by Nietzsche in that regard. Karl Marx, who was the father of communism, 
was basically that we have to get rid of God. God can't matter if we're going to rebuild this new society. And that tells you why today that people are so opposed to Christianity in America. Because if you're from the Frankfurt School of Social Theory and you've bought into critical race theory, what you've bought into is Karl Marx's strata of power structures and hierarchy structures that have to be torn down so you can create a communist-oriented society of equity is the term that they use. Well, who's the one person who's going to stand in your way? You know, the Christian who won't buy into your craziness because they believe in an objective truth and all of your emotional attempt to manipulate them isn't going to work because they have an objective truth. And you say, well, this is my narrative. This, they're like, well, that's nice, but I don't really care because there's an objective truth. It's always wrong to torture babies for fun. It's always wrong to enslave children and human traffic them. There's no excuse. There's no reason. There's no justification for ever doing that. Stop, period. Ain't going to happen if I'm around. Well, when people who want to change that and people who want to do that, what are they? They are going to oppose you. They're going to hate you. They're going to do everything they can to destroy your life. And what's interesting is that Paul in this passage is saying that our commitment to God is objective truth and our commitment to the fact that he wants to redeem our lives is to them total craziness. But to us, it's the ultimate freeing truth. And I would postulate if science and scientists want to see science grow, see science continue to innovate, have a deep love and support for science and what it can do for human beings, then you better get rid of all the atheists and naturalists in your midst. And you better stop allowing them to manipulate you for their agenda because it will ultimately destroy science and what it was designed to do. Well, I love those conclusions you came to today. Um, we're going to talk about more of this on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're as passionate as you were <laughs> Sunday, I'm, I can only imagine this is going to get salty and more engaging. And um, I just can tell that you really are passionate about this topic and this series. So I'm excited to hear more about that. Um, I'm sure the viewers and the listeners are as well. Make sure you guys subscribe. We're, we passed 800. Oh, so, yay! So... We're on our way to a thousand. We're almost there. So help us out um, so we can get some traction on that. And then just make sure you guys are sharing this. I think this is something that you have that friend that maybe isn't a believer or who doesn't, you know, uses science as an excuse of why um, your beliefs don't matter. This would be a great series for you to start sharing with them, to start maybe uh, changing their minds or opening their minds to a real truth, Mm. not the one that's propagated by the media. So Mm. uh, we appreciate you guys joining us and we'll see you on Thursday. God bless you.